Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King, those joining us in person and those joining us online. A quick refresher of where we are in our sermon series. The sermon series is titled by this Latin phrase, Lex Orande, Lex Credende, Lex Vivende. Not a menu option at an Italian restaurant. Instead, that's an old phrase uh, in Latin that describes how we worship. Lex Orande, the order of our worship, informs or shapes what we believe, lex credendi, our creeds, which informs how we live. Lex orande, worship leads to belief, which leads to life. Every church has a method of worship. Uh, some churches are more formal, like ours. Some more are more casual. Some have a written liturgy. Some have a casual liturgy. But every church has a form of worship, and that form of worship affects and shapes what you believe about God. So for the month of August, we've taken our service and divided it into five chunks. We've looked at how we gather. We gather humbly. We look at how we listen, listen attentively. Then the confessions, we do things together. We confess our faith corporately. And now we move to what is for many people one of the most important parts of our service, and that is the celebration of the Lord's table, and that is we eat deliberately. And you can follow along in some sermon notes. They're brief, and they're at the bottom of your page 11. We're going to simply follow this out, or we'll follow this simple outline. We're going to look at what we do. We're going to look at what, what does what we do say about what we believe, and then the, how should that affect our lives. So let's jump right in. What do we do in worship every Sunday? Well, Jesus was very deliberate throughout his life. But at the very end of his life, Jesus was especially deliberate when he came to the, how he was to be memorialized by his followers. You probably are aware of the stories. That one, they're recruited, recorded in all of the Gospels. This from Matthew chapter 26. On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations to eat the Passover? Jesus replied, go into a city to a certain man and tell him the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples. Jesus made arrangements. He made, he made sure there was a man and that man had a house and the house had arrangements for the Passover. And then as they gathered, you know what happens next. Verse 26 of that same chapter, evening came. Jesus reclined at the table and as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He gave it and he said to his disciples, take, eat, this is my body and then the same thing with the wine. The instructions that Jesus gave in the apostles are repeated in the letter to the Corinthians, which we just read. That's indicated that these words and this service, this memorial feast of taking bread and taking wine had become a part of the church from almost its earliest inception. In fact, one of the earliest writings we have from the church comes from near the year 100 A.D., it's a very, very old document. It's written by a fellow named Justin, and he describes their worship like this. Listen, he says, On the day called Sunday, those who live in the city or country gather together the memoirs of the apostles. Right? That's, we read from the New Testament. That's the memoirs of the apostles are read. And then the preacher verbally instructs and exhorts the imitation of those good things. That's what I'm doing. Then we all rise and together and we pray. We'll do that in just a moment. Uh, 
And then bread and wine are brought, and the priest offers prayers and thanksgiving. There is distribution of each, and those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacons. That's describing an order of worship that is reflective of what Jesus said in the upper room. Take bread, take wine, this is my body, this is my blood. And that is also, it sounds strikingly familiar to what we do every Sunday, doesn't it? For many people, uh, as I said, every, every church has its form of worship, and there's no right way. There's no, each way of worship has its strength and has its weaknesses. But in, in my opinion, one of the strengths of Anglican worship is our approach to what we do around the Lord's table. We don't think that there's some magical, mystical occurrence, but we treat the Lord's Supper reverently and carefully. Uh, we'll do what's a little bit of what's described in this by this old document dating back to the year 100. We'll gather, I'll say some prayers, setting apart the bread and the wine. Uh, you'll come forward, you'll kneel, you'll open your hands, you'll hear these words. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is his blood shed for you. That is what we do, that is our order of worship, right? We're probably all familiar with this. Now let's move on to the second question. What does how we worship say about what we believe? That's an interesting question. Jesus was very deliberate in his choice of memorial service, and many people have had a hand in shaping their memorial service or how they want to be remembered. There's a great story about Winston Churchill. Uh, he had a very deliberate hand in his memorial service. And so the story goes that uh, the service came to an end and the trumpeter played taps, that somber military song. And that's how the service ended. But unseen up in Westminster Abbey, he had tucked away a trumpeter or had insisted that a trumpeter be tucked away. And so as soon as taps ended, revelry began. And that was reflective, right? Churchill thought deliberately, this is how I'm going to be memorialized, and it was reflective of his indomitable spirit, right? And my dad, uh, uh, he passed away in 2018 and uh, knew that the end was coming, and he memorialized, he had a hand in memorializing his life, and that he gave each of his kids uh, a shadow box, and that's a military, that's a, uh, a box that, uh, includes all his military awards, and it was very reflective of what was important to him throughout his life, his service, um, his friends from the academy. In other words, Jesus is not the only person to take a deliberate hand in scripting how he was to be remembered, right? People do it all the time. Maybe you and I will do it someday. But how Jesus chose to be memorialized is unique, odd even. Think. He didn't say, sing a song and remember me. Plenty of songs about Jesus. He didn't say, uh, make a statue about me. That's how you're going to. He didn't say, have a feast and remember me. He didn't even say that. He said this this bread, take it and eat it. It wasn't just bread on the table that, that memorialized him, it was bread that was eaten and wine that was drunk. In other words, uh, Jesus is not mem memorialized simply by looking at the bread or looking at the wine. No, it's only in the eating, only in the drinking that he is memorialized. 
That is how he wanted. What does it say about Jesus that he was to be memorialized by bread, eaten, wine, drunk? It says many things, but it certainly says this. It reveals something of the sacrificial love of Christ. Because here's the thing. Every time you and I eat something, something else dies. We have a mission partner up in northern Kenya, Gitachi. We're heading there in February, God willing. Uh, and I can't recall, it was one of our earlier trips, I can't recall where we were. Uh, one of my daughters with me, and she's forever scarred by this. It was around dinner time, and uh, there were no groceries, Zippo. But there were plenty of goats, and uh, the convert, you can see where this convert this is going. Uh, Sure enough, one of the pastors took a little goat off to the side and being a little bit curious and, uh, you know, carnal curiosity, I followed along and halfway through the process, I said, I just, I, I can't watch anymore, right? We're just removed from our food. You know, we don't, we rarely think about the connection between the food that's on the table and the life that was lost in order to give you that food. Right? Where does meat come from? It comes from a meat factory. And the same thing applies if you're a vegetarian. It's a little less bloody, but still, something dies. A plant dies in order that you might live. I think we can draw many conclusions about Jesus from the way he sought to be, chose to be memorialized, but certainly we can say this. The way that Jesus chose to be memorialized and bread that was eaten and wine that was drunk reveals that he is a sacrificial savior. It reveals that he is the wheat that was ground. He was the grape that was crushed. He is the life that dies in order that you and I might live. It is through his life and through his death that a new covenant, a new relationship with God is established. And that is how, that is what is revealed about Jesus' chosen means of memorialization. But remember our sermon series. What this phrase suggests is not only that, that our way of worship not only reflects who God is, but it shapes what you believe, right? There's a great passage from Romans chapter eight, and it says, what can separate us from the love of God? Can angels, can demons? No, God who gave his son for us, will he not also give us all things? That is a, that is a very poor paraphrase of a very beautiful chapter, but the author is giving a sense that he has this deep, heartfelt, knowledge that Jesus died for him and that God gave his son for him and therefore God is fundamentally for him. How do you know this? How do you come to this deep-seated assurance that Jesus died for you? Do you read it in the Bible? Yep. Do you, do you learn it from your parents? Learn it from a friend? Absolutely. But one of the ways this truth becomes worked into the fabric of your soul is through what you do in worship. And every time you come forward and kneel, lift up your hands, and you have a piece of bread placed in your hands, and you hear these words, this is the body of Christ, broken for you. It's like taking a pencil, excuse me, it's taking a pencil and underlining it again 
and again. So, the law of worship leads to the law of belief. Don't you want this deep assurance that Christ died for you? Absolutely. How would it change your life fundamentally? How do you get it? You get it by what you do here. How does that affect your life? Great question. Uh, Worship that centers around a sacrificial meal that memorializes a sacrificial savior should lead to what? A sacrificial life, right? Uh, The type of life that Jesus describes uh, uh, throughout the gospels. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake, that type of life, that type of life is reflective of this type of worship. However, this is exactly opposite the type of life that is lived in the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth was a disaster, just an unmitigated train wreck. And this passage that we are exploring, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is a corrective chapter. And what he is correcting, the author, the apostle is correcting, is their practice of the Lord's Supper. And if you back up to verse 20 of chapter 11, uh, you read this. So this is his correction of of their practice of the Lord's Supper. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat because when you eat, someone goes hungry and another gets drunk. That is not how you are supposed to worship. It's not how you sp- so there are deep class divisions in this church, and apparently the rich people were sort of elbowing their way to the front, and they were eating all the bread and drinking all the wine, and some people were getting drunk, and some people were going hungry. And in other words, they were completely self-centered, and it was completely incongruous with the Lord they were worshiping or the, the, the form of worship that they were celebrating. And this simply should not be. And look at the gentle admonition that the apostle gives. Look at verse 33. So then my brothers come together and eat. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to wait. Why is that important? Because the rich people, they're not used to waiting. They elbow your way to the front. I'll take mine. But Jesus, the apostle Paul, is telling the members of the church that they should say a little bit of what Jesus said to them. What did Jesus say to them? This is my body, which I give to you. This is my life that I lay down for you. And the Apostle Paul is telling the church, you should say this too. You should, not in these dramatic ways that you're going to die for the sins of the world. No, that's Jesus' job. But in these simple ways, wait for one another. Lay down your rights. You see, the law of worship informs the principles of our belief and reflects and shapes how we live. From a sacrificial meal, we come to know a sacrificial Savior, which leads to a sacrificial life. And I just want to circle back as we come to a close. I want to look at two words that can guide us as we gather here, how we worship. I want to look at two particular words in this this passage that tell you and me how we are supposed to gather around the Lord's table. Look at them with me. This will instruct us for what we are about to do. He says in verse 28, verse 27, whoever eats or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So there's a right way and a wrong way, a worthy way and an unworthy way. What's the worthy way? Let a person examine himself first, that's verse 28, and then verse 29, anyone and eats 
and drinks without discerning the body. So discernment is a second way. First way, we eat, celebrate the Lord's Supper worthily. We examine ourselves. Second, we discern the body. Let me just comment quickly on each of those. Examine yourself. What does it mean to examine yourself? In our service, prior to communion, we should ask ourselves, is there any way where I am intentionally, where I am deliberately, where I am repeatedly turning my back on what I know God would have for me? The question is not, am I a sinner? Of course you're a sinner. The question is, am I deliberately continuing in something that I know is outside God's will. That's why the confession of sin always falls in front of our communion. That's your time to get it right. That is your time to confess, yes, Lord, I have. To pray for his forgiveness and seek amendment of life. Examine your moral life. Examine your relationships. Another way we examine ourselves. Now, the, the occasions of siblings getting in a fight on the way to church or spouses getting in a fight on the way to church is pretty common. If the bar was that you and I are to be perfectly at peace with those around us, then we would all go hungry every Sunday. No, the goal is that you and I should go through a... a as much as it is possible, are we at peace with those people? Are there any outstanding debts? Is there anyone that I owe forgiveness or owe an apology to? One of the most powerful experiences of worship I ever had was just doing just this. I'd wrong somebody and it came to that, the exchange of peace. We'll say, the peace of the Lord be always with you. You know why that, that's that section of the service is there? For this purpose, if you are at odds, go make peace. Our piece is a little bit abbreviated, so it'd have to be a very quick apology, but that's what it's there for. And in one occasion, I was back at another church, and I knew I'd kind of stepped over the line with this person, and I asked them, please forgive me. And it was very brief, but boy, it led to a very powerful communion around the Lord's table for me, and I trust for them as well. Examine yourself, look inwards. Second, discern the body. What does that mean? That's, it's kind of an interesting phrase. A lot of different commentators have a lot of different suggestions. Let me give you my best crack at how you and I can uh, follow this admonition, discern the body. So if you go down to uh, the National Mall, you'll encounter all these monuments. Uh, and they are the ways that our nation has decided we're going to honor the fallen from the various conflicts. So there's a memorial for Vietnam, for World War II, uh, Korean, and in, each, in front of each memorial, it will say something like, please be mindful, respectful, please honor, right? And there's always, or there should be, especially around the Vietnam Memorial, I've noticed not so much around the World War II, a lot of people dipping their feet in the, in the, the, in the pool, um, but there is, should be a little bit of quietness, a little bit of reverence. Why? Because this is the way our nation has said, this is, this is the way we're going to honor those who have, have died for the cause. And those people who are a little bit flippant, who run through the memorials or who are taking baths in the uh, fountains, they have not discerned that this is the purpose. Right? You see where I'm going? 
Well, it's not a perfect analogy because the, the, the Lord's Supper is not just a memorial of his death, but it's a memorial of his death, his resurrection, and his promise to come again. So we're not, we're not somber, but we're not flippant. Well, we're thoughtful, we're thankful. The practice of returning to your pew after receiving communion and offering a quick, or not so quick, a, a prayer of thanksgiving to God for all of his many blessings and kindnesses to you, especially the gift of his son, is one way that you can reflect this admonition. Discern the body. Let me summarize. Lex orande, lex credende, lex vivende. How you worship affects what you believe, affects how you live. Don't you want to have the type of life that Jesus had, the self-sacrificial life, the life that was not concerned for itself, a life that gave itself for the good of others. Don't you want the deep assurance that God did not spare his own son, but gave him willingly for you? Don't you want to know that? I do. How? Pay attention to what you do. To what you do here on Sunday morning. First, examine yourself. Is there any area of sin? Is there any relationship that is out of sync? Discern the body. Remember, this is the way that Jesus chose to be memorialized. Then come forward, kneel. Open your hands to receive the bread. And I hear those words that Jesus said. This is my body broken for you.